for the week of December 6th, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss the sixth episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, Chapter 14, The Tragedy. This episode was directed by Robert Rodriguez, and in it, Mando and Grogu find their way to Tython, where the child is able to reach out through the Force. However, Mando soon finds that they have been tracked by two covetous parties. John, what did you think of this tragic episode? Ah, it was tragic. It's it's hard not to uh, get the feels as uh, Baby Yoda or Grogu is absconded there by those dark troopers. Um, Hot take, a lot of payoff, a lot of fun, a lot of serious action, uh, obvious directing choice in Robert Rodriguez. Like they used every trick he's ever put up on screen in this episode. So uh, there was a heck of a lot to enjoy about this episode. No doubt. Well, and, and after watching this, this is one of those things where like after they wrote it, like I wonder if it was very intentional, like we got to find a guy like Robert Rodriguez to do this. Like there are only so many people that they can select that has you know, the resume like Mr. Mm-hmm. Rodriguez does on something like this. And it truly, like you said, every single tool that he has used in the past <laughs> seems like it has right. made its way into this episode. So it was cool to watch. There has been, you know, a ton of payoff, like payoff dating back all the way to the announcement of this show being based on a Mandalorian. It right. was super fun. I enjoyed every minute just like you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They uh they really dialed like the badassery up to eleven. They they figured that if this is going to be kind of our our true debut of Boba Fett, we've been teasing him for so long, but now we're just going to give the people what they want. They really needed someone that could capture that, right? Because you know he's just he's such a a character of myth in the Star Wars universe that you need to present him a little larger than life. And so some of the slow walking away poses and just the yeah, just the the sheer badassery of how this was all staged was so fitting. It, it was it was a joy to to take in because uh, they just really did justice to Boba Fett in a way that I don't think Star well Star Wars definitely never has. I mean, the only time we ever really see Boba Fett is when he's accidentally getting thrown into the Sarlacc. Really, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this was this was a true treat. But um, we got a lot to to break down, so I'm just going to shut up here for a minute. And why don't you uh, take us into the episode? Well, before we get to like the major payoffs of this episode, and they come fast, like it's like mm-hmm. five minutes into this episode, they start coming. But we see, of course, this uh, this episode picks up uh, right when Mandalorian and Grogu are arriving on Tython. And as they're approaching it, you have, of course, our Mandalorian getting entertained by the fact that he now knows the child's name and it's kind of this cute um emotional moment like it really set the stage that this was going to be an emotional episode right within the first five lines that the mandalorian has with grogu where he's just saying his name and the child's you know perking up like hey yeah uh, that's exactly right and then um of course takes the they they do the trick with the little the little silver ball and then Mm -hmm. I thought that it was so great of um, I'm going to assume that Pedro Pascal was behind the mask once again here, but such great acting with Mm -hmm. his mannerisms like he immediately becomes like grief stricken where he, you know, the the child does it and then he's like, oh, 
like it's almost the way I read it was he's realizing that the journey is is coming to an end. Right. He's having a conversation with Grogu, but you quickly realize that he's really having a conversation with himself. He's trying to convince himself of Mm -hmm. what he has to do. And so, yeah, there's something a little heartbreaking in his voice where uh, he's saying it. He's trying to believe it, but he's not quite there yet. And if his intention is to try and figure out how to make a clean break from Grogu and like just figure out how to not get emotionally invested, playing catch with your son is not the way to do it. Cause that's yeah. really the heart of this scene. Like, you know, once, whether you're a father or a son, your first catch with your dad or your kid, like that's, that's bonding. Right. So mm-hmm. it seems so fitting that they found the star Wars equivalent of that here. And it just shows that no, their, their hearts at this point are just too intertwined to make a clean break. And I think he's realizing that it's not going to be an, an easy transition if, if they actually succeed in their mission. Um, well, but uh, obviously things go a little awry now, don't they? But uh, a great way to set off the episode, because if the whole theme of this is is tragedy, you know, you need to really spell out what the stakes are. And the stakes are just really just crushing both of them by rending them apart when that's the last thing that either of them truly want. And it's such great writing because mm. everything was said without saying it. I mean, it was so great to see like you, you start getting emotional as soon as the Mandalorian kind of jerks back and is like, gosh, dang it. Like, what? Why is this <laughs> happening? And then, I mean, he kind of hints as to why, of course, he says, I promise that I would take you right. to your people. But it everything else was not communicated with words, but rather with the Mandalorian's emotions, which are very hard to read when you're, uh, you know, an actor wearing a mask. But man, does Pedro Pascal nail it once again? And it uh, it's captured so well. Yeah, it it's it's tricky with the Mandalorian because he has to convey a lot with his body because you don't have the face to rely on. And sometimes they get into this crutch of letting the dialogue do more work than you want it to do. And I was getting a sense that maybe that's where the scene was going to go. But once you realize that, no, this had to be a dialogue rich scene because he is literally like arguing with his heart, you know, like he's he he has to spell it out because he has to remind himself of all the reasons so whereas it sounds kind of expositiony and a little obvious some of the things that he's saying you realize no no we've all been there like when when your heart's involved you get a little gushy and you talk a little dumb and you know it it just uh at the end of the scene i was looking at it saying oh you know what i thought this was maybe going to be kind of a lightweight and sort of a, a cringy scene that was a little more obvious in its dialogue and a little bit more tell not show which is not what you're really going for but you're right even though there is all that dialogue it's serving a purpose and it's accented so beautifully by all the subtle looks you know the baby's looks and his glances back and just his head nods and and just everything uh is being spelled out uh in very clear terms with how these two are engaging each other and and how you can just see he's he's got this anxiety about what comes next and he just he doesn't want to do it but darn it all if he's not honor bound and yeah just a lot of a lot of subtext for what actually was a dialogue heavy scene and you don't usually get the satisfaction of walking away from a scene with both uh, a very clear idea of where the characters are at from what they're saying but also from how they're emoting and conveying things without words so yeah a rich scene and uh, a great way to kick off the episode and that was the first minute of the episode yes. i mean yeah. it, it was it so said a lot it said so much and then of course we start getting the payoff so they arrive mm-hmm. On Tython, they find, of course, the ancient uh, 
or at least what is supposed to be the ancient Jedi temple. I think there might right. be a little more to it, but you know, they get there, the Mandalorian sets Grogu upon the rock to reach out. And then we get the first payoff, the payoff that I think everyone was rooting <laughs> for. We see slave one come through and make its landing. And boy, like that was one of the things to where when you saw, you're just like, you know, I figured it was coming when they said Boba Fett. Like I figured this was going to happen, but it looks it looks so much better than how I imagined it. Yeah, I I don't really know what to say about it because I was just kind of giddy with the reveal. Like there's Slave One, and it's never looked more glorious. You know, just with the tools they have to realize spaceships and just get them to glint just right in the sun and and have some haze. Uh, you know, there's no thick matte lines uh, around it from the old. Uh, you know, motion control camera, optical compositing days of empire. And it just, it just, it, yeah, it just was such a treat to, to get that little callback. What I wasn't expecting though, was the amount of rehabilitation we were going to get from Boba. And, and so I don't want to rush things because obviously there's a lot more plot to get through uh, Mexican standoff and so much more, but this is not the Boba of legends. This is a, a Boba with a measure of honor himself. And I think that's really like, aside from just all the fan service and the nostalgia of seeing the slave one and then seeing fat Boba get back in his armor. Um, there's also the enjoyment of really starting to root for a character that we've only ever seen as a villain. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's such great writing from the team behind the Mandalorian that they're able to take something that seems so obvious. Like the obvious thing would be to reward the fan service with giving Boba Fett the, you know, the badass villain title again. Right. But it's so creative that they were able to take it and, like you said, show that there has been some sort of uh, mental rehabilitation with Boba Fett. Or right. maybe he's always been this kind of person of the code. And it seems that it hints a lot of that. And his code has just taken him to, you know, paying, uh, you know, going where, of course, the money is and getting his right. job done. But, I mean, he was a bounty hunter. We knew that that was kind of his thing. But he's deeper. He's got a little more, uh, a little more layers to it than that. Yeah, a couple months in the bowels of a sarlacc will do wonders for your your interpersonal growth. Um, but yeah, this is a new boba, and and darn it all if if I just I didn't want to see the guy win, and mm -hmm. I'm I'm just amazed that they they pulled that off. Uh, and also bringing back um, Fennec Shan, that was unexpected. I didn't see that coming. I thought that the reason why we had that shot of Boba Fett walking up to her seeming corpse was just to tease Boba Fett. I didn't realize mm -hmm. that. They were going to rehabilitate her as well. So a lot of surprises coming fast and furious with this episode. And it, it sets the standard for Boba Fett that he is this this person of a code. You know, he goes mm -hmm. and he finds Finnick and, of course, saves her and replaces yeah. some of her. It looks like internal <laughs> organs going on to make sure that she could be a uh, yeah. living, breathing um, individual again. And, you know, kind of recruits Finnick as being this uh this person to assist him with his mission. So it seems like he was of course tracking uh cop Vanth for a while because he wants his armor back and saw an opportunity to use Fennec as a, as a potential device to assist him with that. And right. he comes back with his armor and then provides a little bit of dialogue about it. Basically that, you know, he wants his armor back because it has been given to him in a rightful way that we, you know, the first time in canon, we explicitly hear that Jango Fett was a foundling and that his armor was, in fact, given to him by Mandalorians, which makes the the armor his in terms of the creed that that our Mandalorian is so bound by. Yeah. Now, there 
rewriting a little bit of even canon history, or at least what we assumed was truth in canon, mm-hmm. because in the Clone Wars, the prime minister of Mandalore specifically disavows Django and says he's no Mandalorian. And so we've always taken that as gospel. And we've always heard, or at least I thought it was still in canon that Django's armor was Durasteel, that it wasn't actually Beskar. Like he was posing more as a Mandalorian than anything, but no, they're, they're going to fill in some, some gaps here and, um, you know, bring, bring the continuity full circle and say that, yes, there's a reason why Django had Mandalorian armor and it's legit. And it's, it's a, a righteous thing that Boba wants it back. Mm-hmm. And that gets our, our characters, um, to sort of stand down and, you know, they have this traditional Mexican standoff, which is so great, but to see that, no, they're kind of kindred spirits. They have a very mm-hmm. similar past. They, they lost their parents. They were brought in by different factions of Mandalorians. And, and here we are, you know, we, we all love our armor and we love our identity and we're just, we're just trying to make our way in the galaxy. And you kind of, you kind of realize that in Favreau's thinking, he really wanted to do a Boba Fett show. But there was no elegant way to really get into that. And so we're just slowly co-opting Boba Fett, right? Like we're realizing that their stories are effectively the same and their mm-hmm. their occupations are effectively the same. And now that there's no Razor Crest, at a certain point, I think Boba's gonna get done in and Mando's even gonna, you know, be the new owner of the slave one. And it, you just kind of see Mando reappropriating everything that Boba Fett was in the Star Wars universe. And um I, I just think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of mm-hmm. cool how this is all dovetailing and, and uh, it all just kind of makes sense in the narrative that they've built. They've, they've put so much time into building the, the mythos and the traditions and explaining how Mandalorians think and how basically there's no two Mandalorians in the galaxy that would ever think that the other one was a true Mandalorian. Like it all just, it all just kind of makes sense when you see these scenarios play out. And uh, it's just, it's kind of charming and fun to, to see these two kind of sum each other up the way that you would in a Western, just look each other up and down and decide, okay, we can accomplish more together than just all killing each other here. Cause we're all, you know, we're all uh, cutthroat warriors and, and there's no guarantee that any of us are walking away. So why don't we strike a deal? And uh, yeah, I don't know. Just a lot of fun, a lot of tropes. I'm eating it all up. Yeah. And it, there's also a potential, you know, different take on this. I mean, the the big cameo or the big you know kind of easter egg from the uh sequel trill or the prequel trilogy was the mm-hmm. i'm just a simple man trying to find his way in the right, galaxy right. yes the first time we heard that quote it was actually misleading i mean you had jango fett lying to yeah. obi-wan when he said that and now you get a sense that that boba fett is meaning this that he is that this is truth to him so there's maybe potential that the veil was kind of cast over Boba Fett's eyes and maybe he mm-hmm. wasn't as honorable as he thought. But then you have the same situation where Jango Fett was someone that didn't like Jedi. Well, the Mandalorians didn't really like Jedi either. So mm-hmm. there, there are definitely multiple takes in there. But I really appreciated that quote. Um, and it feels <laughs> it, it's so weird because it's the same actor saying it that said it, you know, right. uh, 20 years ago. But it almost feels like that it... Uh, that it's coming from a different actor because of course it's a different character. So, you know, bravo, um, to this performance, uh, such a great payoff here. Um, but we had another covetous party show up Mm -hmm. while they're having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. The empire makes strange bedfellows, right? These, these people thought that they were going to have their own little showdown here, but no, their party is interrupted. And all of a sudden they find themselves on the same team as we get these drop ships of, 
um, adequately inept stormtroopers. Like these aren't the kind of stormtroopers that we would ever assume are going to pose a real problem for our heroes, mm-hmm. but the creativity and the ferocity with which, uh, Boba Fett and, uh, Fennec and Mando dispatch like 30, 40 stormtroopers is glorious. We haven't seen this kind of carnage since, um, the, the forger, the, mm-hmm. the armorer. The armorer, the armorer, uh, at the end of season one. Um, but this is glorious. Like what Boba Fett can do with a gaffer stick is mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it really, it, it really makes you think twice about that scene in a new hope when the sand person is over top of Luke, you know, Luke's mm-hmm. on the ground and, uh, he's just like shaking his gaffer stick in the air. You realize, no, these, these things, these will cut right through you if, if the person knows how to wield them. So yeah, to, to actually see something that seemed kind of hokey and gimmicky when we first saw it, you know, used with such destructive prowess was oh, just glorious. And, and this is again, a, a tip of the hat to Rodriguez for just knowing how to milk every frame of this, uh, you know, just it's desperado type of action. It, it really, you, you just see his thumbprint all over the framing of the, the high angles on our heroes as they uh, take all the motion blur out of the camera. So you get like those whip crack scenes where they, you, they drop a few frames just to add to the, the kinetic energy of it all. Like every action trick is in here and uh, it just, it feels so competent and just so much fun. And there's something truly satisfying about seeing a stormtrooper's armor just shatter at the, yes. at the ends of yeah. this, at the end, of, at the end of all these, you know, fights. And so it was, you know, I got that same satisfaction, like you said, when the armorer is dismantling the stormtroopers um, at the end of season one, and now it's the same type mm. of thing. And it's like you said, it adds reinforcement to this little stick that we before just saw as a device <laughs> yes. that the sand people just wave above their head. And now you look at it, and it's like, no, this is actually nope. <laughs> extremely deadly. Like this is, this is the, you know, the equivalent of not taking the, the natives of the new world very seriously. Cause you think, oh, right. those guys are just, they got bone arrows and these weird sticks. They're not going to be <laughs> able to do anything, but they know how to use them, but they know how to use them. And yeah. they, they become a force to be, uh, to be reckoned with. And it's quite, uh, entertaining to see here. Absolutely. But this also opens the door for, of course, Boba Fett to get closer to the Razor Crest and then be like, okay, yeah, this stick is nice, but the real thing I want is in there. Right. And he gets his armor back. And man, what an awesome just uh, scene where we get, of course, the Mandalorian leaving Grogu mm-hmm. alone in the temple. And I think at that point, we all knew what the end of this was going to be. Uh, right. But. Uh, he leaves Grogu, and just when Fennec and Mando feel like that they might be overwhelmed, we have Boba Fett in all of his glory for the first time since uh, the Return of the Jedi. We see him in all of his glory, and what a great payoff here! Yeah, we've never seen him like this, like so competent. the The fact that he he gets the the jetpack malfunction mm-hmm. treatment in Jedi you just you 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 never genuinely see him in action he kind of ropes luke and and you know he has a, a couple very brief uh actiony encounters but just nothing at this level and it's so satisfying to see an age tamir morrison in the role yeah. providing the voice i'm assuming doing you know a lot of the close-up work probably not all the the stunt work but i i love it when the amount of time that star wars has existed starts to work in its favor like how we got a 
Genevieve O'Reilly as a an aged Mon Mothma in mm-hmm. Rogue One, and and same with Bail Organa. Like Jimmy Smith's is just as old as he should be if that amount of time had passed. And like you just get these little moments of serendipity where things line up with your casting. And I I just feel like how great it is that they could bring him back to to play the role. Uh, it just makes it feel so authentic. And uh, again, with the right director behind it, you're just you're feeling all the boba. Mm-hmm. It's it's so awesome to see because like like I said before, this is exactly what fans you know we're speculating about when when John Favreau right. announced that he was making a Mandalorian show. We're just like, yep, Boba Fett. We're gonna see Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of doubts. I'm like, you know, it would be cool, but it, I don't know how they're gonna make it work out. And they made it work out here, and we haven't even heard how we escaped from the Sarlacc <laughs> yet. But we of course know that this has occurred. And then the other amazing thing was to see the Razor Crest truly destroyed. I mean, in Star yeah. Wars, it's kind of a trope where ships almost get destroyed. Like right. these iconic ships almost get destroyed, but last minute they they escape and they're able to be repaired. We see the Razor Crest get absolutely annihilated when mm-hmm. the stormtroopers finally um, retreat from the two Mandalorians. I love that they did that because it's such a, a gut punch in the middle of this scene that raises the stakes. It makes you realize that like they could take out a main character at this point. Like if they're willing to take out his ship, something they've just from a production standpoint, they've put so much time in the design. Like this is one of the characters on the show in a way. Mm-hmm. And in Star Wars, that's just how it goes, right? Like the Millennium Falcon and, and so many other ships that they become just part of the fabric that you, you, you would never want to see them truly be destroyed forever, but I don't think we're going to see the razor crest again, unless, you know, he, he walks through a hangar and sees another one that just happens to have the keys and the ignition. Like, I don't, there's no coming back. It's not like the other times where it got dismantled or almost destroyed and he just needed to find a safe Harbor to get someone to work on it. No, it's, it's, it's done. So, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's kind of brave that, that they're willing to kill one of their darlings for the sake of making you stop and go, Oh, this is real. Mm-hmm. Like Gideon's up there. He's coming and it's going to be no holds barred. It's not going to be uh, a lightweight encounter. We're kind of playing for all the marbles on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what it says. And of course, you know, it, it obviously forces our three unlikely heroes together for the long haul, which is also mm-hmm. nice. Now they're all in the slave one trying to round up their, their motley crew to figure out how to save baby. Yeah, so just more good storytelling, fearless storytelling. Mm-hmm. And my initial reaction to this, as soon as I saw the Razor Crest get destroyed, I was remembering a lot of this like, okay, Favreau always kind of wanted to tell a Boba Fett story, and we were thinking that Mando was going to dismantle Boba Fett and take the Slave One. And right. then whenever the Razor Crest is destroyed, I'm thinking, uh-oh, this might not be well for Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. What if he's the big death of season two and his dying words are handing Mandalorian the, uh, the slave one, you know, who knows what's going to happen from now on. But I think that, like you said, this, this set the stakes, like they're willing to kill off a main character mm-hmm. because there's uh, some emotion behind the razor crest. Like even when the Mandalorian is looking through the wreckage, the fact that he finds the silver ball, like that was meant to tug on our heartstrings a bit. Um, <laughs> And and so I'm thinking maybe they can write it off in a in a creative way where Boba Fett admits that his journey is over by the end of all this. He has his armor. He he's found his place now. Uh, he no longer needs the Slave One and just gifts it to Mandalorian. But I think there might be a little bit more <laughs> uh, tragedy coming on sure. in season two. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's what they're telegraphing. And I think that's why they want you to sympathize with Boba. And I think that's why they went through great pains to write him as a fully realized character and not just a faceless villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to make it very poignant. The same as it was with IG-11 in the first one. Think of how much time we spent watching him get rehabilitated by Quill. This is what we're seeing here. Uh, and I can't see any situation where where Boba doesn't have to sacrifice himself or, you know, just go out in a blaze of glory in some way. Uh, that's where I think we're going. And who knows if it takes a season or two to get there. It could take an episode or two. We really don't know. But yeah, I, I think I think that's what we're setting up here. Absolutely. And we get this payoff where it has been confirmed. These are dark troopers that Moff Gideon right. was assembling here and they come in and they uh very effectively take the child and it's it's nice to see like the way they were kind of approaching it, it they're very much programmed in um the way they approached uh grogu kind of slowly from all different angles um mm-hmm. it seems like moff gideon has worked out the tweaks in this in this system so that these these dark troopers are programmed to know what the stakes are at least or at least sure. to, that some sort of algorithm because it seemed like they were approaching it waiting for Grogu to possibly start force throwing them around or right, right. maybe it was just to build up the suspense in the slow walk towards the child but they ended up getting him and he has uh, Grogu has been caught and uh, it's also another interesting reveal is Boba Fett does not seem excited that the Empire is back like when he when he is chasing the dark troopers and is following them he sees that this is of course a uh, an imperial ship and he his his quote to Jenik was they're back the empire it's it's back right so here's where maybe there's a little bit of convenience in the plot cuz he's been on Tatooine we're assuming for the full 5 years since the Sarlacc situation mm-hmm. but he's had his slave one the whole time he's had the ability to leave but he doesn't know what's going on in the galaxy and even though he can seemingly track his armor because his chain code or whatever is in it, he wasn't able to find Cobb Vanth in the intervening time. Like there's something that they're probably going to have to flesh out in a comic yeah. because I, I think they glossed over a little bit of what Boba has been up to. Uh, but the fact that he doesn't realize that the empire is still a force in this portion of the galaxy is very telling that he's been kind of living a hermit's existence on Tatooine, mm-hmm. or at least that's the conclusion that I've drawn. Uh, but I'd be interested to know if I may be missing something as to why it is that it's taken all this time for him to find his armor when it seemingly wasn't that far away from, you know, yeah. where he was just walking around in the desert. Um, yeah. So there's, there's something there that I haven't quite put together. Maybe that's something that just needs to be filled in, or maybe that was them saying, we just don't have time to smooth over this particular mm-hmm. uh, plot contrivance. So uh, it doesn't really matter because we ended up getting a fun character out of it, but yeah, there, there's something a little odd about the fact that he's not really aware of the state of the galaxy right now. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe the Jawas had some blockers on that on their little tank and was keeping uh, Bobo from finding it even whenever it was with True. the Jawas. Um, maybe it was powered down. Yeah, um, it doesn't seem like Cobb Vanth is much of a uh, you know person that gets out in the public very much. So maybe a Mandalorian arriving on Tatooine um, and causing a bit of a ruckus. I mean, landing in, mm. uh, you know, Mos Eisley and then going around and, and shooting people and trying to find people for bounties, maybe sparked some interest in like, huh, maybe that's my okay. armor. And then by accident oh. crossing cop Vanth. Um, right. I overthink things a little bit, but no, no, I, I think, I think you may have touched on something. I think what I'm assuming is that 
Boba was tracking the armor because the armor had that signature on it. And that's how he was able to do it. Kind of like the little beacons that they use when they have a bounty. I was assuming that, that that was, that he was tracking the armor, but no, if Mando was on Tatooine and slayed a crate dragon, and that's going to raise a few eyebrows and you're going to hear some tales in, in the back corner of the bar of what's been going down. If that was enough to tip Boba off. And so he's traveling to hear about, you know, these townspeople that are off, battling a crate dragon to see what that's all about. And he happens to see his, his armor in transit. Maybe he just puts a tracker on mm-hmm. uh, the razor crest and that's the situation. So you're right. Maybe he just never crossed paths, never had a hot lead to, mm-hmm. to get him on the trail of his armor until the crate dragon encounter. So yeah, maybe I'm just overcomplicating it, but however it happened, there's still five years of story there for Boba Fett for maybe a spinoff series. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But for now, this is, this is what we got. We got our, our three uh, would be heroes uh, having to, to team up and figure out what their next move is. If they're going to try and make a, a go of it against this uh, resurgent empire. And they go back obviously to find another uh, person for their magnificent seven here. And we <laughs> yes. get like, I, I knew that Burr was coming back, but I figured it was going to be like a revenge plot where he's trying to get Mando right. back for what happened in season one. But it turns out that the Mandalorian is recruiting Migs to help him with his mission uh, because, of course, he's a sharpshooter and every Magnificent Seven needs someone with good aim. <laughs> and so it's right. this nice, like, Western trope that is playing out in such a glorious way that makes you excited for these next two episodes. Yeah, now, are they going to pull the Dream Team together and, and have sort of a Suicide Squad, Magnificent Seven uh, situation for the finale? I don't know. Like, I it seems like the next episode's probably going to be springing Burr from mm-hmm. Space Prison. I think that's what we're we're going to be doing, which is awesome because I like Bill Burr. It'll be fun to have that character back, and he is a good foil to the rest of them because he is scuzzier and he is kind of a smart talking. He's a guy that you'll love to hate, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a good contrast. All these other characters that we're very sympathetic with. You know, there has to be sort of a wild card, a, a chaos factor in in your your group. Um, so it, it does seem like that's where we're going now. Cara Dune, you know, she served a purpose, but um, I wanted to focus in on the the medallion thing that she mm-hmm. has because when Kim's Convenience dropped it off a couple episodes back. I assume that it was kind of like a purple heart mm-hmm. that was just sort of issued to her that she never received. And he was going to deliver it to kind of like pull on her heartstrings. But the way we understand it here, it's basically a, a Marshall badge. It's basically saying, if you pick up this badge, we're basically deputizing you as part of the new Republic to be the official mm-hmm. law of this planet. Yeah. So that was what was going on in that scene. And that went right past me. I didn't realize that this was him basically offering her a job. And here we see that she's taken it. So I think that's worth clarifying because I just didn't have a good beat on exactly what that medallion meant last time. But yeah, it's her, uh, you know, it's, it's whatever it's your sheriff star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought the same thing that you did, I figured it was just like an honorable right. medallion to honor what she did um, during the, uh, during the rebellion. But it turns out, like you said, it is this martial thing. And the Mandalorian goes to now the marshal that might have some strings to be pulled within right. uh, within this new republic in order to acquire uh, such um, Bill Burr's character, Migs Mayfield. <laughs> but that wasn't even the cliffhanger. Like, we're building up all no. of this stuff that I'm figuring this is the cliffhanger. This is going to be the, the cool part. Right, right. Um, it's going to end with 
with Mayfield's the Bill little, Burr reveal, yeah, and, <laughs> and it wasn't the the cliffhanger no. is once again the theme of this episode of the tragedy. We have uh, the child Grogu just throwing these stormtroopers all around, and Moff Gideon does like this classic villain. Yeah, let's, don't yeah, yeah. Don't, don't don't stop him. I want to see where this goes, and then just yeah. waits for poor little Grogu to exhaust himself here. Yeah, there was some serious mustache twirling going on with Moff Gideon this episode. We've never seen him sort of reveling in his victory, like just giddy with delight at how clever and powerful he is. But he's he's gloating. He's in he's like, yeah, in, in full on jerk mode. And um, he's letting baby torture these stormtroopers because in a way he knows that that's the best way to torture baby. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he's corrupting baby in a way like the, the more baby accesses the force for these, uh, you know, emotional violent outbursts, the harder it's going to be for baby to keep its humanity for lack of a better term. So mm-hmm. you, yeah, you just, you see this it's, it's child abuse mm-hmm. and it's, it's a wretched thing to watch and to watch him reveling in it. It It is tragic. It is absolutely tragic. And it, it makes you feel for baby and it makes you hate Moff Gideon. And it just makes me so ready to see that guy get blown out of an airlock or something. Yeah. Um, I, I want, I want something serious to happen soon because I don't like where things are going with baby right now. Well, and then there's, even though nothing, you know, physically other than, uh, Grogu getting tired from using the force, which we, we have mm. seen before. And before it's kind of been this like, you know, cute thing that happens when, when the, when Grogu uses the force. But now <laughs> we understand there's more at stake because of what right. Grogu has experienced from what Ahsoka revealed in the last episode that, you know, this is PTSD coming back. Yeah. Like Grogu was you know, uh, fleeing from this his entire life. And now it's back on his tail and he is, he's alone. And it's, it's a very tragic thing. And like you said, you, John Carlo Esposito's uh, delivery of this. And the fact that he's delivering it to a puppet is, is quite incredible because he is quite literally feeding off of the, the performance of the puppet Grogu right here. And it feels like he's interacting with you know a human right in front of him and it was delivered so well it makes you hate him even more and makes <laughs> yep. makes you know it, it brings up the same uh emotional response that whenever jason sudeikis was beating the child in the bag it's like okay exactly. he needs yeah. to die now yeah. and we get that and that was such a rewarding thing to see because i think we are gonna when moff gideon does go away for good i think it's gonna be a very satisfying thing right um, yeah there's no redemption arc for Moff Gideon yet. Like this, this dude has to die. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what they they do. They've come up with some creative ways of rehabilitating characters. I mm-hmm. I want to see uh, a serious like um, Hans Gruber level death for yeah. Moff Gideon, <laughs> or just get impaled by the Beskar spear that Mando has. Like there would be nothing yep. greater than uh, a conclusion of the dark saber duel than uh, Moff Gideon getting impaled by either the dark saber or the spear and his last moments. You just kind of see it's really, it's really <sighs> harsh to, to hope for it because it's real serious stuff here. Well, that's probably why they've set up check off spear, right? Yeah. Like we haven't really seen it do anything or at least not at Mando's hand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you just called it. I think that's why he recovered it from the wreckage. That's going to be the, you know, the poetic moment when he uses this Mandalorian artifact to do in Moff Gideon. There, you called it. You mm-hmm. you win all the internet points if that actually comes to pass. And my last bit of speculation here. So okay. I think it was very intentional 
to show the Mandalorian trying to break Grogu's attention um, when, of mm-hmm. course, he's meditating, reaching out through the Force. And then, um, quite abruptly, uh, we have Grogu stopping and um, whether he's giving up or someone answered the phone. Um, it's quite possible that <laughs> right. that we get a payoff for that. And I think that since it has not yet been explored, that there's a payoff coming. So maybe we get a Jedi that comes in and uh, assists with this. And uh, who knows where we're going, but we are approaching the finish line of season two quite quickly. Yeah. So we know that when you're communing through the force, time and space don't always matter as much, right? Like Luke was able to feel his friends in the future because always emotion, the future is. And we know that Jedi have a tendency to show up at the right time just because they're following the will of the force. So I have a feeling we've set up so many characters and we're so ready for some sort of a, a serious showdown with Moff Gideon. I don't think that the Jedi thing is going to be like the final scene of this mm-hmm. season anymore. I think we've got that coming at some point where they're going to cross paths because the force willed it. Uh, I don't think that's happening yet because I think we've got three episodes left and I feel like we're going to need every moment of that to put together our magnificent seven and execute on the plan and get baby back Mm -hmm. or not get baby back. And that be the huge cliffhanger that everyone's talking about over the summer. I think, I think the Jedi thing is going to be a chapter for down the road in a, a season or two, but, you know, we know that there's a couple Jedi or quasi Jedi floating around out there somewhere. Uh, it will be interesting to see who they cast, who they bring in, because at some point they're going to cross paths with a Jedi that's going to want to train this kid. And we know there's a there's a couple likely candidates and I would really enjoy seeing them in live action or maybe a younger version of themselves mm-hmm. in live action or an older version of themselves in live action. There's there's a yeah, there's still a, a lot of fun to be revealed with this show. Absolutely. And while the fun of this podcast is wrapping up, John, where can people find you to listen to more entertaining uh, material? Sure. Well, uh, Saturday Night Live is coming back this weekend. So when this episode drops, that's probably the same day that uh, a new SNL will be dropping. And I will be talking about that on my other podcast, Saturday Night Live After Party. We do a sketch by sketch review of all new SNL and we dig deep on sketchcraft improv comedy we we dissect and and get really nerdy on all of that good stuff so if uh, anyone is looking for a gaggle of misfits to chat about snl with we would love you to come check out our podcast snl after party on youtube or wherever better podcasts can be found and you can keep up with this podcast on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by contacting us by email at hello at Star Wars TV Talk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes at our website, Star Wars TV Talk.com, and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe. You can find our network, TV Talk.fm. Thank you so much for listening, and may the force be with you always. <laughs>